uh, this morning, we're kicking off a brand new series, Potential. We'll be spending the next six, six weeks in this. We'll actually be teaching out of the life of David. And so if you want to journey along with us, you can start off in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and just begin to read uh, through the course uh, with us. It would be awesome there. And so next week, we're actually going to be talking about uh, facing the giants in our life and um, how do you address uh, stepping into those courageous moments and the things that often hold us back in our potential. Uh, the week after that, we're going to be talking about um, you know, that journey from the in-between lands. And we've all had that, or maybe you're in that from where you've, like that dream you had and then realizing it and that barren land in between and wondering, okay, what is God up to and how a strategic and great friend often makes the difference in us really uh, living out our God-given potential. Week three of this or four of this is going to be really fun. It's Super Bowl Sunday, and unfortunately, God's team didn't make the Super Bowl <laughs> the, uh, or the playoffs. The Dallas Cowboys will not be playing, nor will the Niners or the Raiders, so... Um, but on Super Bowl Sunday, my good buddy Eric Frampton, many even know him, he played seven years in the NFL. He did play for the Cowboys. Yes. He was drafted by the Raiders, played for Minnesota, um, and we got one Raiders fan. Uh, and we'll, do, we'll be talking all about potential uh, and like from the perspective of a uh, peak performer, high athlete, and his whole journey and story. You won't want to miss a great Sunday to invite some people, all right? So that's where we're going. That's what we're talking about. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be talking, uh, really, the, the title of the message is Start With Heart. Can you just say that with me? Perfect. Uh, in case one of your days out, you kind of, you know, it's the beginning of the new year. Maybe you had, uh, you know, a big night last night. You forget. That's the, that's the big point of realizing your potential. And I, wanna, I wrote this, and I want you to just sit back and take this in as we begin this series. Uh, and you can just kind of, I'm going to re- do more reading than preaching at the beginning. So just, just allow it to permeate your soul, if you will. Uh, Dallas Willard says this, he's an incredible thinker, philosopher, and uh, writer, and he said, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. I want you to listen closely. God placed greatness in you. It's easy to look around and see greatness in others. So-and-so is good at math, they're great at science, they're great at business and leadership. Oh, they're amazing with people and friends. Man, they're so good with their words. They always have just the right thing to say. Or, man, they're so good with their kids and their family. It's unbelievable. We say things like, aren't they just so great? Yet when we look inside ourselves, it can feel like greatness skipped a generation. We can see the potential in others, how gifted they are, how much they could accomplish if only they would just put in that little bit of work. Yet we tend to overlook the incredible potential God has deposited in us. God placed greatness in you. There's more in you than you think is in you. Your life is like a seed locked inside a little acorn is everything necessary to create a mighty oak tree. An oak tree that can weather the harshest storms, whose branches extend to bring shade and refuge to those around. This little acorn, think about that, just pick it up. It's in your chair. 
Hold it in your hand. This little acorn has tremendous potential. It's small. It's unassuming. From the outside, you think nothing of it. In fact, squirrels make the mistake of thinking they're only good for a late afternoon snack. But this little acorn has the potential to become a mighty oak tree. God placed greatness in you. Despite deposited inside of you are extraordinary gifts and talents, creativity and intellect, energy and dreams, all waiting to be cultivated, to be developed, to be unleashed. Your life is precious. Your life matters. You bring to this planet what no one else brings. Your best days are not behind you, but before you. You have not peaked, and your past failures are not final or fatal. Never settle for less than God's best. Do not resign yourself to a mediocre or average existence. Why? Because God placed greatness in you. And the question before you, the question before me, every single day is what will you do with what God gave you? How do you live into your God-given potential? How do you develop the greatness that God placed within you? We're going to talk this morning very specifically about how do you take that step to develop the greatness that God has placed in you, the God-given potential inside of you, That is this beautiful, wonderful little acorn that has the potential to become a mighty oak tree. So how do you take those first steps? And to do that, to develop the greatness God placed, you have to start with your heart. And here's why. Everything we are, we become, flows from our heart. Another way to say it is all of life flows from the heart. Solomon, the son of King David, would write it this way. He would write in the book of Proverbs this incredibly profound sentence. Above all else, guard your heart, safeguard your heart. Literally, be diligent to watch over your heart. The heart is the center of a person's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual life. Here's why. For everything you do flows from it. The picture he's given us is if if your life is a river, just gushing out, if your life is this river, your heart is the source, the spring that is pouring out to what goes out of your life. And we've all seen this, haven't we? We've all seen people who have had initial success, who who have done things, perhaps in the political world, done things in the entertainment world, and yet, since all of life flows from their heart... It begins to catch up, and because they didn't watch over, guard, or take care of their heart, it seeps into their life and ultimately undermines who they were and who they could become. See, what comes out of a person originates from within a person. It comes from our heart. To live into who God made you to be, to become the person that you are designed to be, to to live out your God-given potential, you have to. You have to start with your heart. So let me ask you this. How's your heart? Not in like the cheesy, I don't know if you ask it anymore, that's kind of popular, like... In Christian circles, and how's your heart? No, oh, not that. 
sorry if I'm making fun of you. I didn't mean to. That's just. But like, really, how is your heart? Like, like, what is the condition of your heart? As we start 2018 together, if nothing is more important than the condition of your heart, because from your heart, everything else flows. Like, if you want to be a great dad, if you want to be a great coworker, if you want to just be great at life, it says it starts with your heart. What's in your heart? See, because the condition of your heart will determine who you become. And so as we begin with the life of David, I actually want to back up a little bit. I love the story of David, and ever since I was a kid, I, I grew up um, as a pastor's son, and my dad was like, hey, you need to have a quiet time. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Uh, and so at night, every night, I would read First and Second Samuel. I read it over and over and over again. I, I think because I like medieval and knights and fighting and all that. And First and Second Samuel's got a lot of that, you know, in there. It's like about kingdoms and all those sort of things. But early on, ever since I was a little boy, I just had this prayer. As I began to read the life of David, because it was said of David that David was a man after God's own heart. And I remember as a little boy, my God, would you make me a man after your heart? Like, I just, I, I just want to be that. And I, I didn't know what that meant. And, and that's what continued to this day to be one of my consistent prayers. Like, like, I pray consistently in the morning about my heart. And like, God, I want to be a man after your heart. I want to, be, you know, like, maybe you want to be a woman. I almost said I want to be a woman after your heart. And that was going to be weird. But, like, you know what I mean, like... I want my heart to beat after your heart. I want my heart to break for the things that break your heart. Like, I want my desires to be your desires. I'm tired of getting pulled away in this direction. I, I want my heart to be a heart that beats after yours. See, it's that type of heart that then the seed of potential begins to flourish. Now, what I love about David's life is he started out as a shepherd boy, and then he turned into a, a strategic and mighty warrior, and then eventually uh, the greatest king Israel ever knew. And what I love about the Bible is it doesn't give us caricatures. You know that? It doesn't just tell us like the highs of David's life and just kind of skims at the surface and says, he's a man after God's own heart and he was awesome and it's this unattainable bar and like, wow, because David had some really high highs and especially the early years were great, but he also had some strategic and unfortunate flaws that undermined the kingdom and his potential. I once had a friend share with me that, you know, the Bible doesn't so much give us role models to pattern our life as after, but it actually gives us a mirror so that we can see ourselves. And I believe as we study the life of David, you will begin to see yourself in your life and how God wants to shape and develop you into the woman or the man he made to be, into living out your divine potential on this planet. 
And as we dive in into the life of David, we're going to start a little bit before there. He was the greatest king Israel ever knew. He was the second king Israel ever had. And Israel, well, they were never intended to have a king. God set up the nation of Israel as a theocracy. Now, a theocracy is where God is the king and the people had then were intended to have judges who would execute the law of God and give governance to it. But God was always intended to be their king. And so for 400 years from the time after Joshua until the first king is instituted, that's how they functioned. They didn't always function very well that way, but that's how Israel was intended to be. It was intended to be a nation that that operated where God was actually at the center and the focus and, and, and operated in such winsome integrity and light and beauty that all the other nations would look and go, wow, we want to be a part of that. And yet what was interesting is the nation of Israel looked around at every other nation and said, oh, we want to be a part of that. See, I think there's three temptations that, uh, for our heart that will pull us away from God's given potential in our life. Three temptations of the heart that, that will undermine your potential, undermine the greatness he placed within you. The first temptation is the desire to fit in. The desire to fit in. Samuel was the last of the judges for Israel. Samuel was a a, a mighty man of God, used his life powerfully. I mean, he he brought military victories. He, He was a righteous and just Man and all of Israel came to him for direction, for discernment, to execute judgment. And he was getting old, and so then he put his sons into place. And unfortunately, the apple fell way far from the tree in this case, and they were corrupt, selfish, and took, you know, bribes and all those sort of things. And so Israel, the elders of Israel, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. That's a nice opening line, right? Thank you very much. Okay, I think I realize that. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us. How? Why? Such as all the other nations have. The elders of Israel said to Samuel, first, hey, dude, you're old. Second, your sons are bad. Third, We want to be like everyone else. It is the desire to fit in, to be like everyone else, that often can undermine the unique, God-given potential he's placed within you. See, we look around, don't we? I wish I was smart like her. I wish I was more gifted like him. I I wish I had more access to this or this job. I I wish I could do this. And and we, instead of appreciating how God made us, we look around and wish we were somebody else. Maybe it's a mother or a father. Maybe it's a brother or a sister or a friend. Maybe it's somebody that you see around you you don't even know. And you just look at them and you go, I wish I was more like that. And instead of living into who you are, you try to pretend to be somebody else. See, the desire to fit in, to be like, 
to keep up with the Joneses. It will undermine your God-given potential. Brene Brown writes that fitting in is the greatest barrier to belonging. It's interesting because I think it's this idea of belonging that causes us to try to fit in. Our, our craving as a, a humanity, as a people, is to belong. That's actually God-given. We were created to belong first and foremost to God and with one another. But belonging is not somehow do I change me for you to like me. Belonging is here I am and who God made me to be, and I'm accepted and loved, and we're moving together instead of having this mask. See, the psalmist would say it this way. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe it? When I was reading that opening piece, and I kept, I wanted to keep saying it over and over, God placed greatness in you. God placed greatness in you. You know why I want to say it over and over and over again? Because you don't believe it. You're looking at the acorn and going, it's just a silly acorn. It's just insignificant. There's nothing to it. Doesn't even taste good. Look at everybody else. Look at how good they are. I'm a nobody. See, it's the desire to fit in, to somehow adjust your life, to be like everyone else. See, you have a unique role to play on this planet, and God has specifically gifted you to do it. Don't you ever forget it. Don't you ever diminish it. Don't you ever underestimate who God has made you to be. Early years of ministry, man, fitting in was a big deal to me. My dad happens to be a pastor and a communicator and a teacher, and he's really good at it. And it created a level of insecurity for me. You see, our desire to fit in ultimately produces a level of insecurity. We're not secure with who we are, and so we're insecure and we try to fit in. And so I tried to be like good preachers. I didn't feel like I was a good communicator. I didn't feel like I'm enough. Is Ryan enough for you? I don't think so. I need to be like so-and-so. And so I'd emulate communicators. I'd emulate a guy named Andy Stanley, and I'd try to come up with cool, crafty ways that he says it. i try to emulate what, like Louis Giglio, and he has this just way of communicating that, that just draws you in in these illustrations. I'd even emulate, so one of my mentors uh, and guy that really impacted my life is a guy named Dan Kimball. He leads Vintage Faith over in Santa Cruz, and he was my youth pastor, and then my college pastor, and he's the first person that ever gave me a shot to speak. And so really significant, I love Dan. And so I just began to emulate his mannerisms. And if anybody knows Dan, he's incredible. He's one of the brightest thinkers I know. But he also is an incredibly awkward when he's up front of people. He stands to the side like this. He'll shake his hand like this. And he'll never quite look you straight in the eye. He always looks to your side. I emulated him to the point that it looked like I had to pee every time I was preaching. Why? Because the person that God made me to be, I wasn't confident in. I was trying to be like everyone else. And it will undermine, it will undercut your God-given potential. God placed greatness in you, friend. Like, Like you are uniquely gifted. 
I want you to get that. I want you to like embrace that. And it is that desire when you begin to feel like I need to be like them. I need to set the standard. I wish I could speak like them. I wish I could, I wish I could draw like them. I wish I could. You just go, hang on, hang on. Did you know that the things that come easiest and most natural to you, you often think they're not that big of a deal? And other people are looking at, I can't believe that they do that. How good is that? It's desire, the temptation of the heart, desire to fit in that will undercut your God-given potential. So Israel, they ask for this king, and then they do what all of us would do when we ask for a king. They look around and wonder, who looks the part? And so the second thing that begins to undercut the temptation of the heart that will undercut your God-given potential is a focus on the external. Is a focus on the external. To look good on the outside. Kish had a son. His name was Saul. Now think about this. Saul was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. <laughs> He's a good looking dude. Even the guys are going like, wow. And he, he was a head taller than anyone else. They looked around. They're like, this guy, we can follow him. We can see him above everyone else. And, man, look at him. He looks kingly. He looks presidential. He looks good. We can follow that guy because he looks good. And he'll make us look good. We live in an image-driven culture. It's all about what we project to the world around us. We tend to evaluate someone's potential by their external appearance, don't we? Look at them. Wow. They got potential. Look good. Maybe it's the career. We got to drive the right things, wear the right clothes. How we vacation. What do you post? Maybe it has to do with how your kids behave, the house you have. See, a focus on the external without properly doing the heart work on the internal will set you up for failure in the long run. We live in the social media, Pinterest, Facebook. Okay, not Facebook, that's dead. Snapchat, Instagram, world. There is immense pressure, young people, on you to be somebody and to show the world that you're a somebody. And if you're not, you might as well put a filter on it, and it looks better. It does, man. Especially during the wintertime, you can put a filter on it, and you look way better. The culture around us is driving for you to present your image. Instead of doing heart work that's ultimately going to shape your future, we do image management. And we want other people just to think better of us than we actually are. And the problem with that is we actually know who we really are. Back to that insecurity. We compare all around us so you don't live with contentment. And we've this focus on the external will ultimately undermine your God-given potential. 
See, I've seen it. I've seen it with weddings. I've seen people that work so hard to have the Pinterest perfect wedding and yet haven't put the hard work into laying a sure foundation for a great marriage. Because we'd rather other people think it's awesome than have an awesome relationship. I've seen people that have so focused on building a platform and getting likes and followers, but haven't done the work of going, okay, Jesus, I'm following you, and I want to get the praise of my Heavenly Father, not people. And I've seen people that work so hard to get the perfect picture with just the right filter, and yet don't do the hard work, the deep work, of examining who you are in your unfiltered moments. See, the temptation of the heart, this desire to fit in, ultimately then moves us to a focus on the external, and we begin to just try to make us look good on the outside and think that's the way life's intended to be. If I can just manage my outside, then I'm good. And yet there's this dissonance of the soul. There's this ache in this longing, because no one really knows you, and you realize you're presenting something you're not. And so, they make Saul king. Now, Saul actually started off okay. He looked good, he, and he did a good job. He won some early victories. But Saul, just like us, he, he fell into the same t- temptation. Like, he, he wanted other people to like him. He wanted to fit in. He, he also was so focused on the external. He was so concerned with what everyone thought that he fell into this third temptation of the soul that will ultimately undermine who you are. It ultimately undermines your integrity, who you are when nobody's looking the wholeness of who you are. Final temptation is this idea of partial obedience. And we do this in the church a lot. It's like, hey, I, I get what God's word says, and I get that if God placed greatness in me, then the one who's going to develop that greatness is God. And doing it God's way is, makes most sense for that. But... You know, there's some things in here that I kind of like, and there's some things in here that are hard, that are uncomfortable, that I I don't really want to do. Well, let's be honest. Nobody does them. See, Saul had this. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've been around someone who has Saul had a pick-and-choose theology. Pick this part, pick this part, and he'd lose the other parts. Notice that Saul would do this time and time again throughout his career as king. There would be moments God says, hey, I want you to do this. And he would do part of it, but not all of it. In fact, the straw that broke the camel's back was after multiple times and Samuel coming and saying, hey, man, get with the program. After multiple times of that, he eventually is called to, to take care, like go against and rise up and battle this, this other nation. And they were, weren't even supposed to take any of the plunder from it. It's like, no, no, no. This is God's battle. And by the way, the plunder reveals and shows to the people how great a king you are. And shows that everyone else that, hey, you did a great job. And makes you more wealthy. He says, no, no, no. Don't even take any of it. And Samuel shows up. And Saul 
went out to battle. He was victorious. And yet he did not keep his end of the bargain. He brought stuff back. And Samuel says, what is this bleeding, you know, of lambs that I hear in the background? And notice what he says. He says to Saul this, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would establish your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own, help me out, heart. And appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Saul actually argued with Samuel. He's like, no, but I did. I did what God told me. No, no, no. I I brought those back for sacrifice. See, what God's saying here, and listen, friends, partial obedience is disobedience. And we rationalize our partial obedience as being actually fully obedient. That's not how it works in God's economy. In fact, uh, this last week I was... um, home before the kids' um, school drop-off, and I was helping out with, you know, the kids getting ready, and someone in our neighborhood was selling uh, basketball shoes, uh, kids' basketball shoes for cheap, and there are Currys and KDs. KDs, Kevin Durant, he's a basketball player. Currys, Steph Currys, greatest shooter ever to walk the planet. Um, and so, like, for nine bucks to get these shoes. And so my wife's, like, doing the research, got these shoes. And so my son, early morning, I've never seen him take better care of anything. He's got these pair of KD shoes, brand, not brand new, but, you know, lightly used. And, and so he's beforehand, he wore them the next day. He's beforehand, he's got a baby wipe. And he's wiping his shoe off, right? I mean, it was great. But the problem is he's supposed to be getting ready for school. I said, okay, son, you know what? I I need you to eat breakfast, and then you can, you know, get all done. Then you can continue with cleaning your shoes off. I mean, they're already spotless. And and then he says, okay, Dad. He gets up. He sits down at the table, and I don't really notice, and he's still cleaning his shoes. And he tells me this. He says, Dad, I'm sitting here cleaning my shoes thinking about what I'm going to eat for breakfast. And in his mind, he was obeying me because he's sitting at the kitchen table thinking about what he was going to eat for breakfast. Now, what did I say? Eat your breakfast. See, what happens and what we do when it comes to the sin issues in our life, we rationalize. And we think that we're actually obeying when we're disobeying. We go, no, no, no. I'm sitting at the table, God. I may still be doing the thing that I was always doing, but at least I'm thinking about doing the thing you asked me to do. And because I'm thinking about it, then that's good enough, right? Uh Uh-uh. Didn't work for me. Doesn't work with God that way. See, we rationalize. And when we rationalize, then we compromise. And we compromise our integrity. We compromise who we're made to be. We compromise our future. And when we get caught, and this is what Saul did, often what we do is we blame others. It's so-and-so, is this. Oh, man, I was so afraid of the men. I was so this. 
And it's this issue of partial obedience, of half-hearted follow-through that will ultimately pull you away from your God-given potential. After this moment, Saul then, or Samuel that is, then is called by God to anoint David as king. And he's a little trepidatious about this because Saul's king, and he's actually went down a whole route of being kind of a megalomaniac, really intense. He's like, you know what, if I go anoint another king, Saul's going to kill me. So he goes, you know, he says, just show up to Bethlehem. Say you're going to do a sacrifice and kind of gather the townspeople and one of the sons of Jesse's. And so he shows up. He shows up and he says, okay, I'm ready. We got everyone here. Let's, let's talk about who the new king is. And actually, he doesn't say that. He's just thinking that. And he sees one of Jesse's son come through and he goes, that's it. Look at this guy. He's awesome. I, man, he, he's just... A young man, like strong, good looking, and he looks kingly. And God says this. He says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Why? Because all of life flows from the heart. Who you are and who you become flows from the heart. And so then another son comes before Samuel. He's like, surely this is one. No, another son comes before Samuel. No, seven sons pass before Samuel. And he's going, no. And now he's going like, okay, all the boys came across. Well, they're men, actually. All the men came across. Um... And God said no. So, hey, hey, Jesse, question for you, bud. Do you have another son? Well, yeah, it's David. It's just a boy. See, David actually was born 10 years. Did I say this part already? Sometimes I preach, you know, two service. I can't remember what I say. David was actually born 10 years after Saul became king. He's a young shepherd boy at this point, maybe 12, 13. He says, I got David. He's watching the sheep. David, overlooked. David, uninvited. David, given the lowest position in the family, David. Maybe that's where some of you walked in. You've been wrestling with. And when I'm talking about God placing the potential in you, you're like, I've been overlooked for that promotion. I've been overlooked for this. I was uninvited to that. Like, I just feel like I'm out of the way, and I'm not in any way going to ever be used by God because it hasn't happened yet. I'm just wa- working this dead-end job. This is David. And then David shows up, and Samuel anoints him, the new king of Israel. Next week, we'll pick the story up there and the process God takes us through to stepping in to who we were made to be. This morning, I want to give you three things God uses to develop our heart. 
Okay, three things that, that are actually the antidote to the, what we talked about, from fitting in to focusing on the external and the partial obedience. Three things that God uses to develop your heart to becoming a woman or a man after his heart. That will take and actually, you know, a seed is a great thing, right? But unless it is planted into the soil and watered, it will not become a tree. And the same is true for us. Three things God uses to develop our heart. The first thing is that of solitude. God uses solitude to develop our heart. It was said that David learned to be king in the solitude of the shepherd field. Uh, one writer wrote, If you can't stand to be alone with yourself, you have a deep, unresolved conflict in your inner life. Solitude. Like, we live in a world that is just nonstop. Your phone's nonstop. It causes us to live a very surface-oriented life. Just try it for a second, or for a day. Like, maybe an hour. Not even a day. You couldn't do a day. I'm sorry. An hour. Just set your phone down for an hour. And notice how often you go to reach for it. The hurry of your soul. See, for some, you haven't heard from God in a long time because you haven't been silent before God. You haven't been with God. The hurry and the hustle of life and the nonstop of everything around you, the Instagram, the, the Snapchat, the, the emails, the demand and the pace. And he says, no, 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 you know what I'm going to use to help be the counter to fitting in is solitude. I'm going to shape your character in those moments. Now, here's the deal. I'm not talking about solitude like, like go out into the woods for five days, you know, and contemplate your navel. For some, you love that, and that's great. But those of you that are like solitude people, you make it impossible for the rest of us. Because, you know, like you're, you're like introvert. You can spend a month by yourself, and you're like, oh, wasn't that great? I didn't talk to a human being, and God showed up. I'm not one of those people, by the way. But I practice daily solitude. I practice in the morning time with God. Part of my practice is I put my phone away. Because you know what I do? If my phone's next to me, I'll practice and have a season where I sit with God and I'll do this. Oh, that's right. I'm not supposed to. Oh, that's right. You're not that important. People don't need to get a hold of you all the time. People don't need to know what you had for breakfast. Solitude. See, David was in the shepherd field by himself for a long time, and it is in that space that you begin to realize who you are without the clamoring shouts of what everyone else is saying who you should be. The second thing is the area uh, that God uses to develop our heart is obscurity. Obscurity. In our world, we want a platform. We want to be known. We want to see, have everyone see and to be a somebody. And God takes a nobody and makes them a somebody. My, one writer said this, In the relentless demands of obscurity, character is built. In the relentless demands of obscurity. 
When you're doing it and nobody sees it. When you're faithful. And that's the third one. I just jumped ahead. But, but this whole idea of obscurity. My, my good buddy Kevin Queen says it this way. The decisions you make in obscurity will shape your destiny. And everybody wants to be ready when the game is on, when that moment shows up. But you're, when you're in the middle of the moment and nobody knows your name and you're doing what's right, that shapes who you are. That builds character. It's in the obscurity of life that God shapes our character and our faithfulness in those moments. It's in the little things and the lonely places that we prove ourselves capable of the big things. Jesus said it this way, Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful with a very little thing will also be faithful with much. And whoever is unfaithful with a very little thing will also be unfaithful with much. It's just this faithfulness to what God puts before you. It's this faithfulness. You're like, this isn't my dream job. And so I'm going to kind of just do it half-heartedly. He said, no, no, no. Be faithful. Be all in. Do it to the best of your ability. Do it as if you're doing it unto me. Man, I'd really like to live here or do that. But God, you have me placed here. Okay. So as long as I'm placed here, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to give it what you, all that I have for your glory and for your name's sake. Three things God uses to develop our heart. Solitude, obscurity, and faithfulness. And when God's developing our heart, just you need to know this, he's never in a hurry. It takes time. And did you know that God strengthens, supports those whose hearts are fully his? Many kings after David, there's one who was a wicked king whose heart was far from him. One of the prophets comes to that king and says this. He says, did you know that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his? And right now, in this room, during this time, the eyes of the Lord are going. They're just examining the rose and saying, man, if you would turn your heart fully to me, I want to strongly support you. I want to strengthen and encourage you. I want you to become who I made you to be. Would you turn my heart and you'll have the full strength of heaven behind you. And for some... You've walked in this room and you feel like, yeah, that potential has passed. My time has passed. The decisions I've made in the past have undermined. It's too late for me. I'm too far gone. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at our gym uh, where normally work out with a buddy, but I went by myself at a different time, and, and the guy who uh, welcomes us, you know, he's at the check-in, he's there every morning super early, he's always upbeat, he's like dancing the whole time, he's like, I mean, it's like 5.30 in the morning, he's like, hey, what's up, you know, which is great, you need that in the morning at that time, you know, and, and this was in the afternoon, and he happened to be coming to work out too, and I, 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 I sit and 
talk with him from time to time and got to hear a little bit of his story. And, and we're, we, just, we ended up talking outside that gym for an hour, you know, and just catching up on life. And I was hearing about his story, and, and he was so discouraged. He, he was so discouraged because he looked around at everyone around him, and he wasn't where he should be in life. Now, his backstory is he was actually addicted to drugs for 15 years. He's now clean and sober, been so for three years. And he was, the reason we were talking is he was in an intense season where those around him were in that drug world, and he was really struggling and, you know, striving hard to stay strong. And so we were talking through some of that. And yet he was discouraged because he looked at the life he could have and he should be, the age he is, and he's like, Ryan, it's just... Feel like a failure. I said, hey, buddy, listen to me. We both know where you could be in this moment. We both know your story and your history and that you could be on the side of the road somewhere strung out and you are not there. You may not be where you want to be, but you are not where you were. And I'm so dang proud of you. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know who said it, it says, though you cannot go back and have a brand new start, you can start today and have a brand new end. And for some, that's your story this morning. For some, you can't go back and have a brand new start, but you can start today and don't give up, don't step back, don't diminish or dismiss, and don't you dare say God's done with you. He's not. His love, as we sang, is relentless, and his redeeming work is for you now. And you stand, and we'll close with worship. I want you to take this seed with you. I want you to keep it in your car, maybe keep it in your pocket. I got one in my pocket. I just want it to be this daily reminder of what's true of you. I, I, I want you to go, no, no, no. God placed greatness in me. Not somebody else. Not, well, he did somebody else too. <laughs> go, how's your heart? As we sing, would you do some heart work? Bring to him what's in you, not what you think ought to be in you. You go, God, here I am. Have my heart. And that cry he responds to. God, I pray for the women and men in this room. I just think of the collective potential of what you want to do the mighty oaks that, that are going to be rooted and founded for generations to come. And it comes in a decisive moment of saying, God, here's my heart. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, what's going on, you come and you cry out and you go, God, here's my heart. And he responds and says, come to me. Welcome home. You are